is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Australia's biggest producer of KP mangoes has just got hold of three new varieties of avocados. Today, you'll learn about Mambalu and its green dream. We've identified that there is room for other varieties in the avocado industry. So rather than stick with planting even more hasp, um, we wanted to offer customers a new experience. Australia's mango harvest is coming to an end. The Chief Executive of the Mango Industry Association will be on your radio in a moment for his summary of the 22-23 season. And what is the issue that has united 25 peak farming groups from across the country? To follow through with the policy like this sends a signal to all agricultural industries that you can do absolutely everything that is asked of you. You can become the best in the world, but we will still shut you down because it's politically expedient to do so. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour. I hope you can stick around. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. G'day if you are tuning in via the podcast. Australian Defence Force personnel are being sent to the Northern Territory to help evacuate remote communities that have been inundated by floodwaters in the Victoria River District. Yesterday, the Vic River reached a peak of 16.99 metres there at Kalkaringi. The river is now falling at that community, but there's still a major flood warning in place. And as we go to air, about 700 people from Kalkaringi, Dagaragu, Pigeonhole and also Palumpa are in the process of being relocated to Darwin. Richard Long from Kalkaringi, he got flown out of the community this morning. He says he remembers the big flood in 2001 but feels yesterday was even bigger. Yeah, yesterday the, the water came up in the morning, went all through our houses, and everybody at Dagaragu, little community there, they were underwater for two days. Please help them with a police boat, helicopter, but the water was everywhere. What can you describe to me what you saw when the flood water started coming into your house? What was it like? The water was coming really slow, rising up, went into every house, and the house where I live with underneath. I went there, took all my stuff, every, every one of us. The water went everywhere. My sister's house got underwater, everybody's. Your house underwater, it's really sad, you know, you, you lose everything there. You got dogs under, underwater, that's the old world. The people we own, like puppies, you know, little puppies, grands, grandsons, they own the puppies. So must be underwater, really sad. As Richard Long from Kalkaringi speaking to Samantha Dick in Catherine. The water was everywhere, says Richard. Losing everything, people losing their dogs, losing their puppies. As mentioned, about 700 people from Kalkaringi, Dagaragu, Pigeonhole and also Palumpa are in the process of being evacuated out of those areas and relocated to Darwin. Here is Commander Denny Bacon from the NT Emergency Services outlining the mission that's currently unfolding. There was a number of evacuations undertaken yesterday for the, the more vulnerable um, within the particular community area. So 35 medically vulnerable people were evacuated yesterday. Um, today will be the, um, the significant evacuation of the remaining um, residents of Dargaragu, Pigeonhole and Kalkaringi. Uh, we're looking at to um, evacuate up to about 700 people today. 
So 740 in total roughly will be evacuated today and yesterday. Uh, Where are they expected to go, that number of people? Yes, um, well the evacuation centres have been established at Foskis Pavilion and Marara Stadium in Darwin um, but the evacuees themselves um, will be assessed in Catherine particularly if um, um, if there's any medical reasons that they um, require medical facilities um, some evacuees will uh, be accommodated with family and friends um, and others that don't have those uh, opportunities will be um, moved to those two evacuation centres. Okay, so the the standard one we've been using for many years at Fosky Pavilion at the uh, showgrounds, and then the Marara, that the big stadium at Marara, is that correct? That's correct. Yes, um, the, both facilities are, um, are well established um, to receive the amount of people that we'll be uh, receiving for this particular um, emergency event. So, um, seven hundred and forty people is a lot. Have you got enough uh, toilet shower facilities for that amount of people? Um, as I said, both those facilities are geared up for an evacuation of this nature, so uh, if additional facilities are needed at those um, venues, then, then they'll be provided as part of this evacuation centre. Yeah, OK. And how long do you expect those facilities will be required? Um, well, this is a significant flood event, particularly for the, the region itself. Um, it's, it's, it's over a, a major flood event. Um, the, the river peaked at 16.99 metres at Kalkaringi. The major flood level there is, um, peaked, is um, scheduled at 14. So it's a significant flood water. Um, a lot of the community dwellings um, have suffered some significant um, inundation um, across Pigeonhole, um, Dagaragu and Kalkaringi. So an assessment will be made by the survey team um, to see what sort of body of work needs to do to um, you know, bring those dwellings back to a habitable state. So I'd say it'd be um, certainly a while, um, but I can't give you an exact date until a survey team goes there and makes that assessment. Yeah, and as we've already heard in the last uh, 24 hours, um, we've had residents who've lost everything, we've had health workers who've lost everything, and even police who've lost a considerable amount of uh, assets, personal assets, uh, during that um, flooding. Uh, the Victorian Daily Mayor, Brian Pedwell, told the ABC yesterday that more should have been done to evacuate people earlier. At what point do you put people's lives at risk? And that's the response time that families and community members are questioning. What's your response to that? Yeah, I've actually spoken to Brian yesterday in regards to um, his comments made there. Um, certainly as a, a regional controller um, facing a, a significant event of this nature, we act on the information and forecasts that are available at the time. Um, the sudden rise um, within um, Kalkaringi, were, um, the rain was in um, areas that weren't um, recorded, so it was uh, the event itself uh, was fairly quick. Um, we've acted within that information and forecast available um, and we continue to act to do that now. That is Commander Danny Bacon from NT Emergency Services speaking to Adam Steer earlier this morning. Now, the low-pressure system that has dumped all of that flooding rain in the VRD, it is now hovering sort of around Tennant Creek and the Barclay region as we go to where this afternoon. At Renner Springs, which is about halfway between Elliott and Tennant Creek, Valmay Jones has recorded 250 millimetres in just 24 hours. She spoke to Dan Fitzgerald just a short time ago. Yesterday it sort of started general real monsoonal rain that we haven't seen in here for at least 10 years. And then last night it continued on with heavier rain all through the night and we ended up with 250 millimetres last night, so... Everything's flowing pretty well around Renner Springs at the moment. 
Wow, 250 millimetres in 24 hours or so. Um, paint us a bit of a picture of what it looks like today. Uh, well, out on the lawn, just the tops of the grass pretty much sticking out and all the dams are overflowing and some banks are broken, some levee banks are gone. We've got pipelines that we know have come out of the ground, um, just levee banks just given away and in laneways and stuff like that, new work that we did last year, so there's going to be a bit of repair there and um, we didn't have time to finish putting our levee banks in, all our erosion controls. We didn't have time to finish putting them in because it got wet a lot earlier than we thought it was going to and we were still busy so we just um, didn't quite get it all done unfortunately so now we've got some work to do when it dries up. And it sounds like it's not drying up just yet, it's still raining at the moment. Yep, it's been raining steadily all morning. No sign of any let up here at the moment, it's still heavily overcast and just raining so um, I think we were under the severe weather warning for yesterday and that arrived last night. They were telling us on the weather forecast that we would probably get our annual rainfall in the four days to Friday so um, that's happened that's for sure they were right there. How has the station gone this wet season? What's your tally up to? Well I think I last um, tallied it up to one, 1,025 millimetres, so, yeah, 1,025 millimetres altogether since the end of September, which is rain that we've never seen it, that amount of rain here in that amount of time ever. Usually, you know, about half that would be normal, but um, that's a huge amount of rain. And what does that mean for your season ahead, Valme? Well, the season was going really well even up to yesterday morning the season was just going beautifully and I'd only just mentioned to Steve that it would be nice to get a little bit more rain in March and really take it through in case the rain doesn't come back until Christmas time because quite often we don't get rain here until December so um, I think <laughs> I must have been too good at doing the rain dance or something something's gone horribly wrong and we've got twice the amount, we've got a lot more than what we were hoping, so let's hope now that the grass doesn't go rotten on us, that's the big thing. And how are your cattle enjoying the rain? Going really well, um, they're looking very good, it's just today with this we're getting a quite a cold wind starting up, so it's turning quite cold and that could well, we don't lose, we haven't lost stock here in these conditions due to the scrub that they've got to get around in. But the open downs, they'll be, they might have a bit of trouble if they're with a cold patch coming through with all this rain. Anyone's getting this sort of weather. Yeah, hopefully that wind chill stays down, hey? Yeah, that's right. As long as the wind doesn't pick up too much, it's, it'll be all right. Um, that's the biggest thing out in these tropical areas is cold snap in the middle of rain like this kills cattle pretty quickly. Oh, well, fingers crossed it's, um, it's just more drizzle and, and not too cold. Um, thanks for talking us through it, Valmay. No worries. That is Valmay Jones from Savannah, Droughtmaster Stud at Renner Springs, 250 millimetres in the gauge for the 24-hour period.
some other rainfall reports coming in from the Barkley. And these are figures up to 9 o'clock this morning. Include 127 millimetres at Phillip Creek Station. Alexandria has had 79 Anthony Lagoon has reported 65 and 88 millimetres at Tennant Creek. Here at the Country Hour, we've just been made aware of an aerial photo that's been taken of the pigeonhole community. And what devastation. This photo shows floodwaters up to the roofs of people's houses. So this is one of the communities being evacuated today. You'd hope all of the people in pigeonhole are well and truly left by now because this picture shows the widespread devastation and yeah water up to the roofs of it seems every house there at Pigeonhole. G'day my name's Trevor Derling I work for Parent Water and you're listening to the Country Hour. What is the issue that has united 25 peak farming groups from across the country? You will find out next. But first, let's have some new music from Fanny Lumsden. Uh, This is her track, Millionaire. Hope you enjoy it. Wet, wet times in the Northern Territory. Just going through some of the major road closures as we go to where Victoria Highway still closed there at Butler Creek to the west of Timber Creek. Buntine Highway is closed between the Buchanan intersection and Kaukaringi because of the flooding. Buchanan Highway is closed at Dashwood Crossing. The Roper Highway is closed due to some flooding at Donkey Flat. The Stewart Highway has got water over the road at various locations from just north of Elliot all the way down to Tea Tree. And there's also water over the Barclay Highway from three ways to the Queensland border. So if you're on the major roads this afternoon, please do be careful. Hello, I'm Frank Shadford from 17 Station. You're listening to ABC Country Hour and I'm training the young youth program. The Australian Livestock Exporters Council says the federal government's policy to end the live sheep trade sets an alarming precedent for all ag industries. Alex says this is a red line issue and the ag sector will unite to fight it. In fact, a joint letter from the heads of 25 peak farming groups has now been sent to Ag Minister Murray Watt. Mark Harvey Sutton, he is the Chief Executive of the Livestock Exporters Council. He says the policy on the live sheep trade must change before another ag industry finds itself on the chopping block. The reason that it should be changed is because it sets an alarming precedent for all of agriculture. We've been talking to groups from right across the agricultural spectrum and they acknowledge the reform that the live sheep industry has gone through and where they see this as a red line issue is the precedent that an industry can be shut down for purely political purposes. And that, that alarms the industry. So which other industries are sort of uh, you're talking to and having those sort of concerns that, you know, if it, it can happen for one industry, it can certainly happen to another one down the track? Every livestock industry in Australia, uh, the National Farmers Federation, this is uh, It's been made very clear to me that this is a a unity issue. Uh, We are unified as a sector on this because of that precedent. Murray, what made it 
pretty clear uh, in Senate estimates. I mean, he used the word, you know, the industry's lost its social licence. And he's, he's using language that very much uh, appears that the decision has been made and this transition is now underway. But still you see, you see some light there. Oh, look, the Minister has a commitment to carry out. And uh, we've made it very clear to him that despite that commitment that he has uh, and the, the decision of Labor to carry forward this policy, we will be fighting against this policy. Uh, and the reason I say there's light at the end of the tunnel is because we have the facts on our side, Belinda. And, you know, I note those comments around social licence. The challenge with that is who determines what a social licence is? Where is the red line? Where is the point where that tips over and it becomes an issue that, you go, well, let's shut down an industry. You know, it's it's very intangible. And this is what industries are worried about because there is no livestock industry, and I'm not meaning to gild the lily here, but there is no livestock industry in Australia or other agricultural industries that has had not had some form of social licence challenge. However, what industries must do is address those challenges in order to retain that social licence. Our industry has done that. Okay, so is legal action against the federal government a possibility further down the track if this proceeds? Look, we're not ruling out any option. As I've said, we will fight this policy all the way. So despite the fact that this advisory group or working group, whatever, to transition out of the live sheep trade is going to be announced any day now by the sounds of things, that doesn't deter you at all in your argument, your quest to see a future for this industry? I, I always see a future for this industry. I wouldn't do this job if I didn't see a future for the industry. I believe in the industry. And the reason I believe in the industry is the results and the reform that the industry has seen. I mean, we have not had a reportable mortality incident since 2018. We are seeing record low mortality levels. And I know People will say, well, is mortality the best measure, but it's the most objective one that we have. And the performance of the industry has been simply outstanding. So to follow through with the policy like this send the, sends a signal to all agricultural industries that you can do absolutely everything that is asked of you. You can reform, you can become the best in the world, but we will still shut you down because it's politically expedient to do so. And that, that's what troubles me. And no, I'm not deterred because we will, we will engage with that consultation process meaningfully. But the one thing that we will not be contemplating is a discussion about transition. And we will be utilising that consultation process to explain why this policy is wrong and why it's wrong for all of agriculture. That is Mark Harvey Sutton, the Chief Executive of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council, speaking to Blinda Verischetti. As mentioned, the heads of 25 peak farming groups, including the NT Cattlemen's Association, have written to the Ag Minister Murray Watt about this issue. And I see on Twitter, President of the NT Cattlemen's Association, David Connolly, writes... The NTCA is committed to opposing this move by the Labor government. Producers are sick to death of being told by government how to conduct their industry based on the knowledge of a few loud activists that know little about the trade. Last export ban cost taxpayers millions, says David Connolly on Twitter. It is eight to one here on the Country Hour. Australia's mango harvest, it is pretty much done and dusted. 
And while the official numbers won't be made available for a few months, it seems growers have picked around 10 million trays in the 22-23 season. I had a chat to Brett Kelly, who's the Chief Executive of the Australian Mango Industry Association, and asked for his summary of Australia's mango season. Overall, the volume is up. Uh, The previous season, we did about 9.8 million trays. This year, we're looking at probably anywhere between 10 to 10.3. The biggest challenge we've had outside of your normal things, you know, like labour for harvesting and that sort of thing, has been the uh, volume timing issue. So, And it was due to seasonality. So um, a lot of the volume hit all at the one time where normally... It spreads out. You have the Northern Territory, then you go into Queensland. So we ended up getting a um, substantial volume of um, mangoes hitting the markets all at the one time. And what that does in the supply and demand scenario is just puts a huge amount of pressure on pricing. So um, overall, um, volume up, quality good, but it's going to be a very difficult outcome for a lot of our growers in, in terms of profitability. Yes, growers I've spoken to say prices were pretty flat and they're keen to know what AMIA plans to do for the next season when it comes to marketing. Yeah, look, the, the marketing, we're getting all the results from the marketing now and from what we're seeing at this point, demand has grown, sales have grown and we'll, and we'll have the actual t- statistics on that in the next month or so. Um, but you've got to remember that there's two things. There's marketing. Marketing drives volume. And that drives, um, you know, more sales. No doubt about that. Pricing is a separate issue. I mean, anybody can sell $2 coins for a dollar. But at the end of the day, if you're selling more volume, you've got to get a fair return. And I I believe we've got to get a better position um, collectively. Our our growers do in terms of the price that they are negotiated and and hopefully can be contracted to. So that when you get this roller coaster of... uh, of uh, pricing being all over the place it's not the grower that has to wear that at the end of the day and what about the export market i've been told a lot of queensland fruit should have been exported but didn't which added to some of the pressure yeah the export market's been predominantly from what i can see suffering um still from this hangover from uh, the years of COVID. um you know when you shut the world down and you shut the whole country down um, you're going to get major repercussions. And the feedback that we've been getting is that getting space uh, in air freight um, and the cost has just been a nightmare uh, for our growers. So it's been very difficult to work through that. But I, I think what I'm seeing is that that will level out with time as things get back to normal. And for most growers, the big issue continues to be labour. Does AMIA have any plans on how to help the industry when it comes to finding those workers? Well, again, um, we sit in on all the committees in horticulture. Uh, there's a lot of work being done, obviously, um, you know, lobbying and working with state and government bodies. And, and it is slowly, slowly coming back to normal. But again, it's, it's the same thing, um, a flow on from the COVID days and then getting you know, back to a normal balance of having uh, workers that are available. There's some schemes that have been worked on um, and slowly coming together. But, yeah, again, I, I think after this this whole COVID uh, shutdown for a couple of years, it's going to take a year or two to get back to normal. 
We've long heard how important the crop forecast is for everyone in the supply chain. I know the the crop forecast at the moment says Australia has produced around sort of 8.9 to 9 million trays. You say the season has delivered over 10 million trays. Well, no, is, we, we don't We don't know that for sure yet. That's what we're estimating until we get the that's final the estimate. numbers. In. So what's giving you confidence that it's over 10 million? Because that's, uh, that's quite higher than the crop forecast. Um, that's the forecast that we get, you know, when we talk to our growers and we compare and we look at the levy statistics but they're not all finalizing you've got to take into account again that this year unfortunately there's been that crossover of uh, a volume timing issue it's all hit at the one time Mm. so looking at that on a you know a year-to-date basis it still looks like you know last year as i said to you we we hit 9.8 million was the final figure so at this stage it looks like when december and january and those figures finally come in um, it's going to be up around that 10 million, but we're not we're not quite sure. So we you know we believe it will be over, but we won't know that till we until we get the final until you get all your levy stats in. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, as a consumer, I feel like the year is ending with a bang for keat mangoes. I can't remember seeing so many keat mangoes for sale in one of the major supermarkets. Um, <laughs> have you got any news there? Has someone gone big on keats? No, it's just great to hear that there's mangoes out there. <laughs> All the feedback that I'm getting um, from consumers again is just, you know, they just love, they love our Australian mangoes. So uh, no, obviously um, there's uh, there's been a lot more keats there, and that's a good thing. But it all works in uh, in balances, you know. So right across the board. The feedback I've had with um, from retailers again is that the quality overall has been really good. Um, and last year, you know, it was considered excellent. So uh, that's great. They can, you know, the consumer demand. Again, I haven't got the final figures, but I've been told that the sales and demand in terms of volume through the retail sector has grown again this year. So that that's a good thing. That is Brett Kelly, Chief Executive of the Australian Mango Industry Association. There are still small volumes being picked in parts of Queensland and southern WA, but next week just 8,000 trays are forecast to be picked nationally. So if you're a mango fan, time is running out to go and grab a fresh one. Now, we understand evacuees from communities across the Victoria River District are getting very close to arriving at the evacuation centre at the Darwin Showgrounds. Uh, We'll bring you the latest information on that in the second half of the Country Hour. And as always, we will be speaking to the Weather Bureau, so if you have a question for them, send it through on the text, 0487 991057. It's now news time on the ABC. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedich from Taruna Proprietary Limited, and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, you'll hear from Australia's biggest producer of KP mangoes, which has just got hold of three new varieties of avocados. Mambalu and its green dream coming up. We've identified that there is room for other varieties in the avocado industry. So rather than stick with planting even more hasp, um, we wanted to offer customers a new experience. Marie Picconi. She must be like me. I love avocado and a mango salsa. So they're just they're just doing both. Unreal. And they're also doing jackfruit trials, aren't they, producer Dan? Mambaloo? Oh, 
keeping busy there at Mambaloo. Marie Bacconi on your radio very, very soon. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Lots going on. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. Uh, Billy, what's the latest in the Victoria River District where all of this flooding has taken place this week? Yeah, good afternoon. Um, Look, in the rainfall, the 24 hours to 9am, we saw... So Kalkaringi only had 22 millimetres, which is pleasing to see. There were a couple of heavier falls upstream, though. So 83 at Sunshine Bore and 69 at the upper Victoria River Rangage. Um, but what we're seeing is as that river is flowing through the system, um, the the river level at Kalkaringi is falling. Uh, it's falling fairly steadily, actually. It's dropping about half a metre every hour this morning. So uh, later today, it's going to drop below the major flood level. Right. Um, subject to further rainfall, but uh, really we've kind of seeing the heavy rain contract away from Kalkaringi now and into the Barkley district. So, yep, the, so Kalkaringi, the river's probably going to continue to recede, um, but there's a lot of water that's got to make its way through the, the lower reaches of the river over the next couple of days. Yeah, so it's still rising at Dashwood Crossing. It's still rising at the Victoria River Crossing, yes? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And um, it will probably continue to rise throughout tomorrow as well through a lot of those those points along the river. I saw a picture the other day of the Bradshaw Bridge. You know the one, Billy, that if you drove across the bridge, you'd end up in the defence area? Oh, yeah. And the picture, even the other day, from a helicopter pilot, showed the water getting very close to the actual bridge. Oh, um, is I that just... the one just past Timber Creek? Just past Timber Creek. People like you and I aren't allowed to drive across it. I'm pretty sure there'd be a little red dot on our forehead if we tried to cross that bridge. It's very much yeah, yeah. defence only. But, um, yeah, and I just wonder what height the river has to be for that to go under because even the other day it looked very close. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a bit concerning because there is still a lot of water to, to, to head come. down that yeah. way. This low-pressure system, now focused on the Barkley, can I share with you, Billy, just a little bit of Valmay Jones at Renner Springs, who tipped out 250 millimetres, she says. I think I must have been too good at doing the rain dance or something. Something's gone horribly wrong and we've got twice the amount. We've got a lot more than what we were hoping. So let's hope now that the grass doesn't go rotten on us. That's the big thing. Yeah, 250 millimetres reported at Renner Springs. Uh, What can you tell us about this system now in the Barkley? Yeah, so the low pressure system is to the east of Lajamanu um, and moving further away. All the heavy rain associated with this system is in the, the southeastern sector of the low. So that puts that heavy rain fair and squarely across the western Barkley district between Kalkaringi and Tennant Creek. Uh, and of course, up at Renner Springs and, and Elliott Way as well. So as this low tracks eastwards, it's going to move slowly eastwards tonight and then further eastwards tomorrow across the northern Barkley district, north of Tennant Creek. Um, So what this means is that uh, we're expecting widespread rainfall of 50 to 100 millimetres across the northern Barkley district tonight and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isolated falls of 150 or above is our forecast. Um, and by tomorrow, we're expecting most of that heavy rain should have moved east of the Stewart Highway, um, but still fair and square over the Barkley Highway and surrounding areas of the eastern Barkley. 
Okay, and a question here from Dave in Palmerston. He says, does the Bureau know if this low-pressure system is going to head into the Gulf and intensify? Mm, yep, so that is another component of this weather system. Over the weekend, we're expecting it to move northeastwards up into the Carpentaria district, and by Sunday, expecting it to be fairly close to that the coastal part of the Gulf of Carpentaria. At this stage, there is a risk that it could move out over water from Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and at this stage, in terms of tropical cyclone risk, we're giving it a low risk. So around about a 10% chance of a tropical cyclone forming from Monday onwards. We're obviously keeping very close attention on that potential development. Is there anything else we need to be aware of? I mean, there's so much going on. Um, have we missed something that, that really should be covered? We've talked to all the major things we need to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. All right, then. Busy times. I'll let you be. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. Just repeating that severe weather warning that's in place for heavy rainfall and damaging winds for people in the Barkley and parts of the Carpentaria, Gregory and Tenamite districts. The language being used by the Bureau in this warning suggests that there could be six hourly rainfall totals that exceed 160 millimetres with damaging wind gusts of around 50 to 60 k's an hour. There still is a major flood warning in place for Kalkaringi and the Vic River and there is a moderate flood warning in place for the Lower Daly River. This week on Landline, flooding along the Darling River. Three years ago we were in a solid drought so we had no water in the river <laughs> exactly opposite but you know that's that's living on the land and the tassie wool grower doing it her way i kind of have given up on caring about what people think that's landline sunday 12 30 on abc tv and streaming on abc iview 12 past one you are tuned into the Country Hour. We're broadcasting across the Territory. And g'day if you are tuning in via the podcast. Evacuees from communities across the Victoria River District are expected to start arriving in Darwin any moment now. Isabella Tolhurst from ABC News is at the Darwin Showgrounds this afternoon. What's the story there, Isabella? Good afternoon. Yes, preparation has been underway all morning, but I think all the action is yet to start um, the buses haven't arrived yet. They were due to arrive around 1 o'clock, so they're running a little bit behind schedule. But it's been busy here all morning. Um, we haven't been allowed inside to have a look, but they've been setting up hundreds of stretcher beds in these big community halls. Um, we've also seen truck after truck bringing in um, portable toilet blocks and shower blocks. There's also been paramedics and first aid teams arriving um, at the showgrounds here in preparation for anyone who might need medical assistance as well. So that's what's going on here at Foskey Pavilion. Um, there's also another centre that's being set up at the Marara Basketball Stadium as well, um, which between those two centres, it's set to host around 700 people um, for an unknown period, really. It's until they um, are able to get back into those communities and see how much damage there is and deem it safe for people to go home. But there are people here who we've spoken to who um, don't have that many clothes. They don't know how long they're going to be here for. So it's, it's all a bit uncertain at the moment. Okay, so some evacuees have made their way to Darwin already. Yes, yeah, so there was a first group of people who came last night. Right. We spoke to a man who was here with his partner and three of his kids. He um, 
he was prioritised because one of his kids is sick. So um, that child is in hospital and um, they were able to come up. There were also four other women, he said, four elderly women who were flown out by care flight last night as well. But so far, that's all the people who have arrived. Okay. In total, as you said, they're talking maybe 700 people to be brought to Darwin. Is there any talk of some of them just staying in Catherine? Yeah, I believe so. Um, Some people have family and connections in Catherine that um, make it a bit more comfortable for them to stay there as well rather than staying in this huge hall with 700 other people. I mean, it's it's, um, not an ideal situation, especially for families or um, older people. It's not terribly comfortable. Um, So some people are considering staying in Catherine, um, but at the moment, there are still people who are stuck in Kalkarindji. Um, they're still helicoptering people out of those communities into Catherine. It's a slow process. There's, you can only fit a handful of people on each helicopter flight. So I think that's been part of the reason for the delays. I mean, yesterday the plan was to have people arriving in Darwin all through yesterday afternoon, and that clearly hasn't happened. So... Um, yeah, it's it's a work in progress, and I think it's all a bit up in the air still, but um, it's not entirely sure where everyone will end up by the end of today or the end of tomorrow even. Yeah. Is there a nice warm meal awaiting everyone when they arrive at the showgrounds? Oh, I'm not sure, actually. Can't see any tucker? We haven't been to have a look. I can't smell anything either, to be honest, but um, I'm sure that there's some catering lined up. It's all sort of part of... Um, the government budgets for these emergencies and make sure that there's plans in place for when these sorts of things do unfortunately happen. So I'm sure that there's catering teams on site who are ready to feed the masses. Okay, Isabella, thank you so much for keeping us up to date this afternoon and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. ABC Radio. Major flooding information. In Creole. Major flooding in Maine, water flooding in a rural and urban area. Because my buildings which are above that floor level, covered in water. People, property and town, the cut off. Too much water and cover up that road. They go in and out. Railroads and road gotta be closed. You might have to go somewhere else. Black evacuate. Yeah, a major flood warning still in place for the Victoria River there at Kaukarenji and all of that water heading downstream. Now, we got a call from Paul in Malak, and Paul's question this afternoon was, why isn't the Howard Springs Centre being used to house these evacuees that are coming in from the Victoria River District? At the moment, they're going to the Darwin Showgrounds and out to Marara. Why not go to the Howard Springs Centre uh, Paul, this question was put to NT Emergency Services' Denny Bacon this morning. Let's have a listen to that question and response. Was there a consideration to um, stand up the Howard Springs facility to uh, house everyone who's being evacuated? Uh, I think when you look at any emergency event, um, a number of considerations are always um, looked at at the time, but at this particular junction in time, with the assessment we currently have, um, the Foskis Pavilion and the Marara Stadium, um, with the choices made for this event. So there you go, Commander Denny Bacon answering that question. Paul, what is happening at Howard Springs at the moment, PS? What did they call it? The National Centre of Resilience? What's happening out there at the moment? It's a good question, Paul. Up next, here on the Country Hour, you are going to hear 
from Australia's largest KP mango producer who's going big on avocados. Yeah, this is the land where I was born. Now, if you love avocados, then no doubt you're familiar with the Hass and Shepherd varieties. Well, three new avocado varieties have landed on Australian shores, and the woman behind this avocado plan is Australia's biggest producer of KP mangoes. Lucy Cooper has this story. Australia's largest grower of Kensington Pride mangoes, Manbalu, has just signed the rights to three new avocado varieties that have come from New Zealand through its sister business, Manbalu Fruit Company. Marie Picconi, owner and managing director of Manbalu Fruit Company, says it's time to provide choice to consumers. It was a niche product in the early 1990s and then there's been the huge proliferation of Haas all over the world with a few other minor varieties um, and if you look at other industries like the potato industry, tomatoes, apples, uh, there's never been, even mangoes, there's not always a reliance on just one or two varieties, one major dominating variety. And we've identified that there is room for other varieties in the avocado industry. So rather than stick with um, planting even more Hass when there's some situations where you know there's just too many Hass around, um, we wanted to offer customers and consumers Um, a new experience. With the material now in Australia, Marie wants to plant out commercially on a pilot basis to assess the three different varieties in Australian conditions. The variety has never been commercially successful in Australia before. These varieties are very exciting because they're all the progeny of Sharwell. And Sharwell is a variety that was um, found and it was found in Australia in about the 60s or 70s. It's an absolutely amazing tasting variety, but it never it never um, expanded hugely commercially because it was it's what we call a B type flower and a B type variety, which means that the flowering and the fruit set is temperature sensitive. These three new varieties, um, from all of our observation, appear to be A type flowers, which means they're not temperature sensitive. So they've got all those beautiful charwool eating characteristics, um, and it looks as though they've got you know really good yield characteristics, but they haven't got that setback of being very sensitive to low temperatures, especially um, during flowering. Hass is Australia's most popular avocado variety. So are we really ready to try something new? We do believe that consumers, the research shows that, yeah, sure, lots of people like Haas, but they are also quite, um, they're quite available to taste new flavours in avocados. And these varieties have got a beautiful nutty, buttery flavour. People don't always stick to exactly what they've always had. They look forward to something that's new. I mean, that's, that's a consumer trend. Let's go to the experts in the avocado space. The cafe owners who whip up fresh avocado toast for the latte sippers every single day. So our most popular food menu item would be definitely the avocado smash on sourdough. I think they just love it. It's um, it's a really healthy option and we serve it with just a, re- a wedge of lemon, you know, so it's not overcomplicated with cheeses or anything. It's, it is what it is. It's all about the fruit. There's some days I sell out because um, families are also getting it for their children as a healthy option instead of a ham and cheese toasty. The children are wanting, you know, the smash avocado and sourdough. That's Kelly Behrens. She owns the Tobruk kiosk at the Strand in Townsville. 
Her avo of choice is Hass, thanks to its creaminess and consistency. But she says she isn't stuck in her ways. Well, we're open to try anything. Like, if it's obviously going to be of the same quality and it's in season when the others aren't, we will definitely try it. Yeah. That is Kelly Behrens, who runs a cafe in Townsville, and in that report by Lucy Cooper. Three new avocado varieties have landed on Australian shores, and Mambaloo has got the rains. Here in the Northern Territory, there still isn't a commercial avocado farm yet, but there are avocados being grown. Actually, just the other day, I went to a farm and got hold of some varieties that you perhaps haven't heard of. I got hold of some Schuller and Calypso avocados from the Northern Territory, grown in the NT, and by golly, they were nice. ABC Radio. Major flooding information. In Creole. Major flooding in Maine, water flooding in a rural and urban area. Because my buildings are above that floor level, covered in water. People, property and town, they cut off. Too much water and cover up that road. They go in and out. Railroads and road got to be closed. You might have to go somewhere else, blah, evacuate. Yeah, a major flood warning still in place for the Victoria River there at Kalkaringi. A moderate flood warning in place for the Lower Daly River. There is a marine wind warning in place for the Northern Territory. A flood watch for so many parts of the top end, central and eastern inland and Carpenterial coastal catchments. And a severe weather warning in place for Barkley and parts of the Carpentaria, Gregory and Tanami districts. This low-pressure system causing a lot of rain and a lot of concern. I'll just share this statement from the Bureau. It says intense rainfall may lead to dangerous and life-threatening flash flooding in the Barkley this afternoon. Parts of the Barkley in the six-hourly rainfall total could get 160 millimetres. And this will be most likely to the west of Tennant Creek today. Earlier on, we heard from Renner Springs, Val at Renner Springs, who tipped out 250 millimetres in the 24-hour period. So that low-pressure system that dumped all of that rain in the VRD, now sort of hovering around Tennant, moving towards the Barkley, some big rain coming your way if you're running cattle out that way. So do be careful and stay tuned to the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. Keep it rural. <laughs> 